At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. The Dream Team Tapes Season 2, Kobe, LeBron, and the Redeem Team is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. Players selected for the honor of representing the United States in the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games are Kobe Bryant. I've been looking forward to this for a while, you know, to be in this position now to be able to you know, represent our country, man. It's special, it's special. LeBron James. We look for the opportunity of rekindling that flame of being the best in the world. I guess the redeemed team is, is, is right. We the best team in the world. We the best team in the world. We put basketball, American basketball, where it's supposed to be, which is at the top. Hello and welcome to Kobe LeBron and the Redeem Team when at last we reached the Chinese capital city of Beijing, one of the oldest cities in the world with a history that dates back at least 3,000 years and was once known, still known in some quarters, as Peking. But we are not here, co-host J.A. Adande, to speak of a delicious crispy duck entree. We are here to speak of the 2008 team that entered the Olympic Games as, well, I suppose the favorite but not the overwhelming favorite. So how's that possible? And just give a brief update before we talk about the Olympics on how things were looking as they headed into Beijing. The world had clearly clawed up to the United States, and there were several U.S. losses that we've chronicled here. So this was a stronger U.S. team, certainly. But some people are calling this the strongest Olympic field that we'd ever seen, the deepest Olympic field that we'd ever seen. And 
Spain certainly was deep. You had Pau Gasol, Rudy Fernandez, Jose Calderon, uh, Argentina, led by Manu Ginobili, Andres Nocioni. So those are the two main threats. Lithuania, still an old threat from back in the days. Russia still couldn't completely be counted out. And China was playing at home. So even though they didn't have a tremendous amount of NBA talent, they'd had a couple of players, most notably Yao Ming, play in the NBA in recent years. And they had a tremendous home court advantage. So those are all the obstacles that in the path of Team USA. They were still the one to four favorite. You would have had to bet $400 to win $100. But it wasn't a dominant. And, and there was some good value bets out there that were worth a shot. I don't think you wanted to bet against the Dream Team. You had a chance to make some money betting against the Redeem Team. This is the pre-FanDuel, uh, you know, <laughs> betting online. It sounds like you know something about this stuff, man. I'm I'm not a gambler, but uh, okay, all right. I, I know just enough to know about that. It, it's, it's funny. Chris Sheridan was covering international basketball for ESPN, and and he had a somewhat of a gambling disposition, we could say. So so when when you go back and you read his stuff. Uh, preview in those Olympics, you're going to see a touch of that, more than a touch. I just remember that movie that I might have been called The Gambler. James Kahn is in his bathtub in the beginning of the movie, and he bets, I think he bet on the Lakers, <laughs> and they lost like by a basket at the buzzer. He almost throws the radio into the bathtub to electrocute himself. You know, since then, I was not going to get in on gambling. Well, and the, the thing is, Jack, on this team, you had the guys with the memory of losing, which wasn't something that we'd seen. Before, if you think about it, uh, you didn't have that that predisposition. Maybe you had it with with David Robinson, who was on the 1988 Olympic team, and then he was on the Dream Team in the '96 team. But you had more guys, including LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony, who had been on that 2004 team. And then you had guys like Chris Bosh, who his last experience in a Team USA uniform was losing to Greece in the semifinals in 2006. And he didn't play in 2007. He was injured. So the last time he'd really played in international competition, he had that loss and it stuck with him for two years. And he told us how that, that changed his mindset heading into these games. I think when you, when you're humbled by losing, it kind of helps it out a little bit. You know, everybody is much more willing. I think, um, you know, I forgot the saying, but yeah, once you're successful, it's, it's, it, it becomes different. But at that time, you know, we were in a position of, of, of sacrifice. We had to do more sacrifice than what was done before in order to win because we knew the world's better at basketball. We can't just put a team together once for 10 days and just go out and whoop ass. And, you know, we've got to play some damn defense, you know? So it, it was always a spirited effort from everybody to make sure um, that they were bringing what they needed to bring regardless. Now, tonight's episode eight, we're calling for reasons that will become clear. No excuses. And J.A., so much happens in this episode. There are no excuses for it not being good. We have a memorable tour that the team took in New York City. Um, we have a first-class Phil Jackson imitation. Unfortunately, we won't be able to see it, but we can hear about it. A party in Macau when one of the team's superstars gets left behind and then they had to decide whether to return for him or not. They have a massive Chinese welcome for Kobe Bryant. A game, one of the Olympics that drew a billion eyes, literally. And a memorable opening jump shot by uh, 
someone we're going to talk about, as well as an in-game nap by a famous American. But first, J.A., set up the meeting that sets up the title, No Excuses. Well, we talked a lot about meetings in this because there's some dramatic moments in meetings. And it, it would be really easy to just say that it all happened the first time they ever got together. And, and they made it sound like that at, at times, like there was this one super duper meeting and all these things got said. And it really set the tone for how this Redeem Team story was going to play out. But Sean Ford and Craig Miller from USA Basketball were both nice enough to break down what happened when and which meeting some of these things took place. So in 2008, their opening meeting for what's going to be the run through the Olympics, they they had their usual get-together. And this time it was LeBron James who spoke out. And Mike Krzyzewski told us about that. The last guy was LeBron. And he talked, he was eloquent. He said, no excuses. And that became our first standard. And they really kind of embraced that. And it was our guy, Craig Miller, the longtime PR director for USA Basketball, who filled us in really on what LeBron had to say. And I remember LeBron saying, there's no excuses. And, and then he elaborated. He said, you know, in the NBA, I can kind of write off not winning an NBA championship by saying, I wish I had Kobe. I wish I had Chris Paul as my point guard. I wish I had Carmelo out there. I wish I had D. Wade running with me because we're all here. We're all together because we got no excuses now, right? There's no, there's no talent excuse. There's no not working hard enough. There's no – and to me, that was a, that was a really strong opening s- s- uh, statement by LeBron to the team. You know, it's funny, Jay, how people – everybody we talk to <laughs> remember those meetings and – when teams are together for a long time, like over the season, meetings become a problem. Chuck Daly used to have this great soliloquy he would go on. I asked him one time why once in a while during a timeout, Chuck would just sit there with his arms folded. And Chuck went, well, there's too many meetings. Timeout, that's a meeting. Halftime, that's a meeting. After the game, that's a meeting. Next day at practice, that's a meeting. Pre-game meeting. Meeting, meeting, meeting. That's all we did. You get sick of them. But when these teams are together for a short amount of time, the, and they have a great collection of players together, I remember it was the same thing with the Dream Team. Um, the, they, the meetings do not become just another thing. They become sort of a real important part of what happened. Now, these guys were a really almost perfect mixture of uh, being a young and an old team. You had the young Bucks, LeBron, D. Wade, Chris Bosh, Carmelo. Then you had the grizzled veteran, Jay Kidd. I don't know, would you call Kobe in the apex of his career, maybe, or just? Yeah, he's he's 28 years old heading into that summer, so he's right in the heart of his career. And he just he's, he's coming off the MVP, his first and only MVP award. Yeah, so you had a really great mixture of guys, but the important thing is what we're going to talk about is they were young enough and enthusiastic enough that you could get them to do things, you know? And I don't think you, if you would have said to Michael Jordan before the 92 Dream Team crusade to Barcelona, you know, Mike, we're going to take a little goodwill tour of the United States. You know, we want you to uh, pack a bunch of clothes and we're, uh, we're going to take off and promote the team. And no, that was not going to happen. But I know you remembered this sort of pre- Olympic tour that the uh, the Redeem team did, and it produced some pretty pretty cool moments. Yeah, they went to New York, and the reason it stands out is they, they packed so much into that trip there. They were going on the morning shows like Good Morning America. They were showing up at like Rucker Park, and, and 
doing stuff on the playgrounds with the kids. They 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 were all over the place. Uh, they even took a boat trip out through uh, New York Harbor with the Statue of Liberty in the background. All this stuff was going on. And one of the moments that, that was captured on the, the many cameras that were around to chronicle this whole thing was this, this interplay between Kobe and LeBron. And to me, it was really indicative of how LeBron was able to break through the, I wouldn't even call it a facade, Jack, the, the fortress, <laughs> this impenetrable fortress that Kobe this had This was erected. Kobe. <laughs> that, that was Kobe. No facade. No facade. And, and so... There's this this interplay and this joking around, and in it, LeBron actually has the audacity to to imitate Kobe Bryant, the way he wore his his warm ups and and everything else, and just the way he operated. And Mike Shishovsky told us about it. It really stuck out in his mind, and he's got fond memories of that. Both those guys have great a uh, great sense of humor, you know. Like, uh, you know, LeBron really likes to joke a lot and goof around a lot. And I can remember we're doing a a photo shoot. We did all these iconic things with each team so that they would get a feel. So we're on a boat, a ferry boat in New York, going out to the Statue of Liberty, where we're going to use that as a backdrop. And there, LeBron, we're in our warmups then. They also had suits and LeBron, put his warm-up pants up to his chest and and his pants were high then and he was doing Kobe and then he Phil was Kobe's coach and uh, say triangle triangle he put up one finger you know late in the game you know that that was Phil's triangle <laughs> and uh, and Kobe's rolling around on the floor you know and so they use that sense of humor a lot. So Kobe's more serious, and yet he's he's cracking up at LeBron. LeBron was definitely the jokester. Some people thought LeBron didn't take things quite seriously enough. Uh, we've seen, obviously, he's serious enough to be a four-time NBA champion. Uh, but at this point, I think it was something that Kobe needed. Uh, you know, somebody who he respected enough to allow him to poke fun at him and— uh, someone who was playful enough to bring out that playful side of Kobe. Shaq was a big playful guy, but Kobe at that time was trying to establish himself when he first came in the league and was a little bit resentful of the big brother label that had tried to be a fix to Shaq. Kobe was tired of being the, the, the little brother. He grew up with two older sisters. He wanted to be his own man. But now he and LeBron were there somewhat as peers. And for for whatever reason, and I think for that reason, the relationship worked better. You know, we don't, say enough about this, but, you know, LeBron is really good at that stuff. Like, LeBron's an actor. I mean, you you know, he cast in that, like, a, okay, he's not playing Hamlet next to Amy Schumer, but he's damn good in that movie. And we always looked at Michael at Jordan as the ultimate, you know, crossover guy kind of, but Michael really was sort of wooden. And I'm probably going to get in trouble with that, but, you know, he had to, he had a certain range. For for to to act interact with Spike and inter, you know Haynes underwear, LeBron is like, you know he's an old guy in a barber shop. I mean he he is a true actor, and I would have I wish I could have I would have paid some money to watch his uh, imitation of Phil Jackson. That would have been pretty cool. Well, it was mostly Kobe. He did a little bit of Phil calling in the plays from the side, but the the fact that he was able to imitate Kobe 
Tacopi's face is, is not something that many people could have gotten away with. Uh, you know, that wasn't all they were doing. They, the, the reason they were on the boat in the first place was Jerry Colangelo wanted to get the shot, the, a shot with the members of the Redeem team in their Team USA outfits with the Statue of Liberty in the background. And so Craig Miller described for us how they pulled that photo off. We have a, a really cool, iconic photo of the team with the Statue of Liberty in the background. They're on the front of the boat and they turn the boat. And um, It's an amazing photo. It was a beautiful blue day. It was done before we started training camp. Um, we, we carved out like, I think, two or three days in New York where we did all these things. And uh, I think it really just set the tone for um, the bonding, the importance of representing your country, and then the, the commitment that was going to be needed by all the players. Nobody, nobody skipped the event. Nobody ducked out of the media. Um, everybody did what was asked of them, and, and it was a huge, huge success. Jack, that doesn't mean that everyone was all gung-ho about this and USA rah-rah. And if you think about it, Krzyzewski and Jerry Colangelo were very big on Statue of Liberty and the entry point and Ellis Island and all that, because that's probably the, the way that their ancestors came to the country. Now, if you think about the makeup of the players on the team, I'm guessing their origin story and their arrival in the United States isn't quite the old Ellis Island saga, if you if you know what I mean, Jack. So not at all. <laughs> they, they 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 didn't they didn't necessarily have the same sentiment and and emotions at at seeing the statue and this eagerness to have their picture taken in front of the Statue of Liberty, and but they went along with it, and I think they got what was going on, and I think they understood that this was part of what being on this team meant. And, and Jason Kidd described to us his memories of that day on the boat in the Statue of Liberty. Yes, 100%. Um, when you look at the uh, photo uh, on the boat, um, Statue of Liberty, right? Like, I don't think there was a lot of people excited about going on the boat and trying to take a picture and have to, you know, be perfect and everybody be still. But it, again, I, I think you just nailed it. Like, they were young enough, like, hey, guys, let's just get in our place. So the sooner we do this, the sooner the boat can head in. Right. And, and they get it. And so um, but they were like, why are we, you know, taking a picture on a boat, you know, like like. <laughs> so, it, you know, there was probably a little, you know, complaining. But at the end of the day, as long as you told them we can get to the finish line, the sooner you do it, the sooner we're, we're going back in. So um, that, that's how that worked. And I remember being on that boat because they, they weren't very happy about the boat picture, but it all worked out. Yeah, I kind of came more from, uh, because of age <laughs> and the color of my skin, I kind of came more from the Colangelo, Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, my, my wife's grandmother landed at Ellis Island. Her plaque from Italy, you know, is up there. And it meant something to me. And I took that music cruise one time. And I remember my wife and I walking through uh, toward the harbor boat uh, with a cooler and people shouting, tourist tourist you know but we got on the boat and got that shot of the statue of liberty behind us and we both went yeah all right it was embarrassing walking up there but uh but this is pretty cool you're listening to kobe lebron and the redeem team jay and i will be back in a minute
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. <laughs> I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You know, before we go any further, Jay, these these things, these even going out to dinner with a team, uh, a famous team, when you have Kobe, LeBron, you know, it's not a simple thing. And one guy, before we go any further, I think we should mention, and he's kind of been with us on this tour all the way through, and that's Sean Ford, now called the Director of Basketball Operations. And uh, every, I think just about every person mentioned Sean Ford through whom most of the arrangements were made. And uh, here's Mike Krzyzewski talking about uh, Sean Ford. The guy who will never get the credit for being like a MVP is Sean Ford. Sean Ford and I lived with each other, so to speak. He would know everything these guys were planning to do. And we got to, got to take care of this, this, and there, there are a lot of moving parts once they're off the court. So the tour is over. They come back to Las Vegas. They demolish Canada in one exhibition game. And then they pack their bags for two games in Macau, two games in Shanghai before reaching the Olympics. Well, one of the things that struck me, Jay, was these just weren't any teams they were playing. I was a little surprised. I don't remember these games, to be honest. But they played Turkey, 
Lithuania, Russia, and Australia. They won all of the games. First of all, are you surprised they played that kind of exhibition schedule, or is that sort of what you do? I mean, the Dream Team didn't play any exhibitions. You know, they just went to the Olympics. Yeah, they just they did the turn of the Americas, and they won those handily. I mean, I think they were prepped. Remember, they played that college select team. They had guys like Penny Hardaway, Grant Hill, and Chris Weber, and... Remember, that was the, the only team that beat the Dream Team in a scrimmage in 92. Right. That was like the second or third day of practice, just kind of uh, get it ready. But, uh, you know, the idea of playing these good of teams, I don't know, it just surprised me a little bit. But anyway, not uh, everything went uh, smoothly, including on the uh, social front. Yeah, so they're still bonding, still hanging out. And one of the reasons I think they went to Macau is that it's, the Las Vegas of, of China, basically, right? A lot of the same hotel properties that you see in Vegas are there in Macau. And so it was a good socializing opportunity for some of the guys. And this group is coming together. And believe it or not, they're even inviting Kobe Bryant. Now, Jack, I was trying to think, in Kobe's Laker years, I only remember him going out and seeing him out at a post-championship party in that 2000-2002 three-peat run. Shaq had a party one year, and and Kobe showed up at that. But noticeably, Kobe was back in the VIP area, and Shaq was out in the main area. And I'm not even sure how much they interacted throughout the the night. I I was going back and forth, but Kobe stayed back in there, and Shaq stayed out in the main area. But guys like Rick Fox and Derek Fisher would have parties, and you wouldn't see Kobe at those. I don't recall seeing him at some of the hotel parties on the road when they they won the championship in Philly or they won the championship in New Jersey, and they're partying back at the hotels. You wouldn't see Kobe there. Uh, I didn't see Kobe at the party the Lakers had at the Playboy Mansion when they won in 2000. And so he's not someone you see out and about partying at that stage in his career. One thing we're learning here, by the way, is you went to a hell of a lot more parties than I did, by the way. (laughs) That was life covering the Lakers, Jack. I mean, see, that's the problem. That's the one drawback, Sports Illustrated, right? The the series ends, the finals are over, and you got to be up in your room all night writing. Man, I had a 1030 Pacific time deadline, and once that thing was in, it was time to go hang out. But uh, by this time, this age, and with this group, most significantly, I think, Kobe is becoming somewhat of a socialite. And that leads to this little misadventure that they have when they're going out for a night on the town in Macau. You know, we were going, um, leaving the hotel to go to a party and uh, we were waiting. And unfortunately, he wasn't on time. So we left. <laughs> and and LeBron was like, hey, you said, you know, we, we be on time. If you're not on time, we leave. So we we left and uh, we got a, a call that we had to turn around and go pick him up. Um, LeBron wasn't too happy about that. Where was this um, at? Uh, this was in Macau. And so um, we were going from the hotel at Macau to the Wynn um, to see the Wynn. And so when we uh, left, um, uh, LeBron was like, you said, on time, we got to go. So we left. And midway through the drive, we get a call that we have to turn around and go <laughs> get Kobe. And, and LeBron was uh, not happy about it. But um, to LeBron's, you know, give LeBron credit, we did turn around and we went back to pick up Kobe and we let Kobe know that, that you know, that you can't, you have to be on time or we're leaving, but we can't leave any man behind. So we came back to get you this one time. So that was Jason Kidd, who in a minute or two is going to tell us about 
another sort of Kobe thing that happened when they moved on to Shanghai, but and it's about shot selection and the shots that Kobe took. Before we do that, Jay, it's always interesting to me, shot selection. For a superstar player, for a scorer, a drop-dead guy that you're going to ride his points to the championship or wherever it's going to take you, shot selection is something you can always talk about, but to me, it's not that important. I mean, people used to bitch about some of the shots Kobe took. Well, let me tell you something. Larry Bird, you know, Mr. Fundamental, took some of the, for want of a better word, shittiest shots you could ever take. Jordan did. It's part of kind of the deal, isn't it? With being a scorer, like this is what this is what you do, you know, once in a while. Somewhat. Kobe took it to an extreme and and Kobe seemed to to relish in the degree of difficulty uh that did lead to this maybe somewhat dubious title, but I think he was the best bad shot maker of all time. In that he could get himself in a position where it was a bad shot, but he could make it. And he was comfortable taking and making those shots. It's one of the reasons I always say if I had a second left for the last shot, I'm going to Kobe. If I've got eight seconds and there's enough time to create a good shot, then I'm putting the ball in Michael Jordan's hands. If I've only got a second or a few fractions of a second left to take a shot, and that means I can't get a good shot, I'm going to Kobe Bryant, who is the best bad shot maker of all time. I I ran that by Phil Jackson one time, who coached both Michael and Kobe, and he agreed with me. So so that's that's one notion. Jack, another thing with this is that the fact that these players and this coaching staff had to encounter that and had to figure out a way to get Kobe to take less of those and to trust his teammates a little more, in some ways the entire Kobe experience that we heard Phil Jackson describe in, in the second episode of this podcast series, it was condensed into these couple summers with the Olympic basketball team. And so they experienced the whole run of Kobe and, and all the pluses and the minuses that come with Kobe having on your team. They experienced it in a very short period of time. But I'd say the outcome was ultimately the same, that Kobe le- learned to work within the system and the team was successful because of it. But it doesn't always come easily, Jack. <laughs> no. You know, I just, this just occurred to me, the mega outlandish shot, which is the Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, a little bit hard and 30-footer. I wonder, which came about, you know, the three-point shots now, a decade, we've been talking about it. But those bombs is a new thing, a little bit new, four or five years. And I wonder if Kobe would have got <laughs> would have got into the 30-foot, 32-foot jump shot uh, type of thing, you know? He would have done it against the double team, though. These guys are doing it. They're, they're, they're finding some space. If you leave them open from 30, they're going to pull up. If you double-team Kobe from 30 in this era of the NBA, he's shooting it against the double-team. That's the difference. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny. Right around this time, I was when I did, the year I did this book on the Suns, 05-06, they spent three-quarters of their time for the first-round playoff talking about how to defense Kobe. And Mark Ivoroni would lose hours of sleep trying to figure out, do we let him shoot and guard everybody else? Or do we really shut down on Kobe and feel that they can't, you know, sort of the elemental question when you're playing against a great player. And he said, well, if he goes this way, we'll double him this way and all this. And Dan Tony says to him, well, what happens when there's four goddamn guys around him and he just gets the ball and shoots and goes, does what he does, the rise up, he called it. Ironi goes, well, there's nothing we can do about that. <laughs> that's just, uh, <laughs> just going to happen. But anyway, 
So Jason Kidd and then Carmelo is going to follow him. Both talk about this inclination of Kobe. No surprise, but now they're seeing it firsthand. They're on his team. (laughs) This inclination to take really uh, wild shots, crazy shots, even for somebody as skillful as Kobe. And here's Jason Kidd and then Carmelo talking about it. Kobe would take some crazy shots. Uh, You know, there was a point in practice where I, I asked him, could he catch and shoot? And, and, he, and he looked at me like I was uh, speaking a different language. And so um, I just said, do you always have to dribble the ball, you know, to, to shoot, you know? And uh, I think he took offense to it at first, but I think uh, I was really actually just trying to help him make the game easier. Um, and I, my whole thing was to say, hey, if you just can catch and shoot, that sets up the whole dribble. That sets up everything that you are extremely good at. And I, and I thought, you know, I was trying to help him, but I think he was, he was looking at me like, no, no, that's how I get my rhythm. That's how I play. And I was like, okay, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out something else. But he, he took some, some crazy shots. Um, but I understand why, because, you know, you just never know. And at the time I didn't know, but understanding who Kobe is now, um, he was always going to be prepared for a situation that he had to make a shot, a tough shot, someone would call it a crazy shot but he would always have the answer that I've worked on this and most people would not believe that the the the, the pre-notion that everybody had about Kobe him coming on the team everybody expected that him to bring what he was doing with the Lakers and you know everybody just thought that's what he was going to do coming on that team and that was as leaders on the team that was approached before that you know it was sit down with Kobe like listen bro like we don't need the Laker Kobe. Like you know what I'm saying? Like we we need like we we need you to be who you are, but you're playing with you know, you're playing with the best now. Like you're playing with the best of the best. So I, I think at first it took him a little while for, for him to adjust to that. So these guys are learning the the delicate dance. Not always so delicate at times, that that comes with playing alongside Kobe Bryant. And it sort of comes to a head right before the Olympics in the last of these exhibition games, Jake. You question why they did it. Apparently, they needed it to, to work out some of the kinks that they had going on this team. So they're they're playing uh, Australia in Shanghai, and it's their last of these exhibition tour games but before they, they get to Beijing and play. And it gets a little out of hand <laughs> with some of these shots that, that Kobe's taking. And it leads to a showdown, a meeting that Krzyzewski felt he had to take and schedule with Kobe Bryant. And he did so with great trepidation. <laughs> and so Coach K describes that that whole buildup and, and how that meeting went down. We're going to win. And in the first half, Kobe started taking Kobe Laker shots, which they had not been doing. And you could see the whole team – and LeBron was, you know, like you're sitting and the team's shooting a free throw or something. And you know how LeBron can look at you. And he looks at me. And I know we got a, a real problem. And I said, I will take care of this. Trust me. And he looked again. I said, please trust me. Let's not, you know, I don't want this whole thing blowing up right now. And, and uh, he did. So then we were going to Beijing. So we were up all night as a staff, literally all night. 
trying to figure out how to handle this. And I said, give me his shots with a, you know, a computer. I'll have an individual meeting with Kobe. So I'm scared, really apprehensive. Let's put it this way. <laughs> meeting. But I said, I got to do it. I, I have to do it. I said, I'll take care of it. So I brought him in. I said, look, I want to talk to you about shot selection. I said, let's take a look at these shots. I said, they're bullshit shots. You know, you, you can't do that when you have Carmelo, LeBron, and it, it erodes what we're, what we're doing. And so I don't know what I'm going to get, but what I get was like a, a gift from God. He just said, you're right, I won't do that. He says, what else? <laughs> to myself, I said, fuck, that's it, man. You know, but I, you know, I said, oh, all right. So, yes. But it was, you know, and so there weren't like too many of those moments. I didn't, I didn't think. And, but that was one of them. You're listening to Kobe, LeBron, and the Redeem Team. We'll be back after this. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. 
So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Like you said, it probably was, you know, in retrospect, I mean, Coach K didn't want to make it sound like it was the whole shooting match, but it was right before the Olympics. And uh, again, back to the Dream Team, you know, they had this legendary scrimmage in uh, in Monaco, in Monte Carlo, just because they had a really crappy practice right before they were going to the Olympics. And that's kind of not the note that you want to set. So this happened. Presumably there's air clearing of some kind. On they go to Beijing. And one of the first things everybody noticed over there, and it even took some people by surprise, and I think, I think me too a little bit, um, and that was how big Kobe Bryant was in that particular era of, of Asia, of, of China. Did you get a sense of that back in L.A. during by that time? Was he that he was that kind of a global star? I'm not sure I got it at that moment, but I certainly was quickly made aware of it. And so one year, one of the All-Star games in L.A., and, and they, they've had so many recently, but I, I, I think it was the 2011. Maybe, maybe yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking 2011 All-Star weekend in L.A. And we're sitting in there in the workroom, which also is adjacent to the, uh, the press conference room. And all of a sudden, they bring in Kobe but only for Chinese media. <laughs> so the American media was not allowed to go sit in there or ask any questions. He's doing there. It's an appearance for Sprite. And I, Jack, I'm trying to imagine how much money they had to pay him to take time the day of the All-Star game to come in and do this press conference. But they debut this new commercial that he'd done with this Chinese pop star. And then they had him take questions from the Chinese media. And packed ton of ton of reporters there, all from China, all eager to hear what Kobe had to say in, in, in this pairing with this this pop superstar. And I thought, okay, this is something I wasn't aware of prior to this. But it was obvious that there was so much interest in Kobe Bryant and that this was such a big deal and that there was so much money for him to make over there. And you did see at this point player after player going over to China and making these trips, usually sponsored by their shoe companies. And you did see the popularity. And I would hear stories from Kobe security people about just how crazy it was when he went over there. And we heard similar tales from the likes of Jerry Colangelo, as we heard him in the preview for this episode, and also Sean Ford telling us about the insane popularity for Kobe Bryant. The games leading up to the Olympics you know, 2 o'clock in the morning and 10,000 people are on the streets lined up waiting, yelling, Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. I mean, he was, he had invested a lot of time over in uh, China uh, and Japan and had built quite a business for himself and following. And he was larger than life for, for those people. That was... Um, kind of a revelation for me, just how big he had become and how big the market was over there for NBA players. I don't know, but it was amazing. You know, the players, when we would go, and and if we were going to go somewhere where the crowd was going to kind of like, they would always make Kobe go first, right? 
because then they would go crazy about him. And then the other guys could just like walk around and like not be noticed. But it, it was amazing to me uh, uh, everywhere he went. When we pulled in and out of the hotel and in the game and there were crowds there and stuff, they, it was always, they were yelling Kobe. They were always yelling Kobe. But now there was one name, I guess you could say as big, big in a different, big in a different way. I suspect if you gave the Chinese people a choice between hanging out with Kobe for a while or hanging out with Yao Ming. I will say this, Jack, that remember Tracy McGrady sold more jerseys in China than Yao Ming for a while when they, they were both playing on the Rockets. So I don't think it's too far-fetched to think that Kobe Bryant could have been more popular than Yao Ming in China. We're going to go with that. But the, the first game, and I don't I don't know whether they arranged the draw in the Olympics to have, but, you know, game one at any way, at any rate, is the United States versus China. And I you know, it's hard to imagine anything that big. You know, the home country, they built this they built this Olympics up like nobody had ever done a more efficient job of constructing a whole Olympics than the uh, the Chinese people did. The first game is going to be uh, your guy. Do you have anything comparable of a home, not in the United States, but being somewhere overseas? You had mentioned you saw the World Cup in Germany or you're watching it there. You have any experience comparable to what this would be? Not of being there. I remember just watching on TV, and, and Jack, you might have been there for this opening ceremonies. But the uh, the archer that lit the flame in Barcelona for the opening ceremony. Oh, I was there. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I I know it, it it wasn't a hero. You know, it it wasn't uh, it wasn't like one of their great sports heroes, but. Uh, it just felt like there was that, pri- and and that was a little bit different too, because in Barcelona you're dealing with like Catalonian pride in addition to Spanish pride, and those are two separate things, right? So I think it was the pride of the region, the pride of the country, and I felt that even through the television. Um, it, just in terms of a hero, <laughs> Jack, I went to a promotional event for Alberto Tamba, the the great Italian skier and and the swaggering, self styled playboy. So they did a promotional event for a credit card company in uh, Turin, Italy, when the Olympics were there in 2006. And it was a Valentine's Day promotion. And I think, you know, women could win like a lunch with Alberto Tamba. Uh, and so, you know, he he's he's one of their great Winter Olympic heroes. So I did get to see that. I did get to see Tamba's popularity in his home country. But I don't think it was comparable to Yao Ming in China. I'll, I will say that. I think one of my top five moments as a sports writer was in in Australia in 2000 at the Olympics. Fortunately, I wasn't even working. I was at the track the night that Kathy Freeman took the starting line for the 400 meters. And Kathy Freeman, an, an Aboriginal athlete who had been gone through, I can't even imagine what you know what kind of prejudice. But by the year 2000. Everybody in Australia realized, okay, well, we got to get together. She is an amazing athlete. She's our hero. She was the face of those Olympics. And that guy was sitting in the in the track stadium that night. I don't know how many were there, but every seat is taken always in the Olympics. And that gun uh, went off. I I never heard anything like it. I you I was sitting next to somebody from Sports Illustrated. We couldn't, we were shouting and we couldn't hear each other. We were, 
you know, 12 inches apart and she went around and, and won. And I just, uh, I just never, never forgot that, you know, and I guess this, you know, this moment for Yao was something like it. So, uh, set the scene a little bit. What's happening? Here comes Yao out for the opening tip. Yeah. It felt more ceremonial, Jack, maybe than Kathy Freeman winning the gold medal. Remember Yao had carried the, the Chinese flag into the stadium in the opening ceremonies. And it really was, he was the face of the, the, the Chinese uh, delegation, the, this humongous Chinese sporting delegation as the host country. And uh, here he is. They had to have drawn this play up for him, Jack, right? <laughs> the, oh, oh, even though it's not exactly his sweet spot, uh, Yao Ming isn't known as a long-distance shooter. But here they are, the first game. And from the first play, China gets the ball. And they set up a screen and roll for Yao Ming. Maybe they'd seen the scouting report, that Greece game where, where Greece killed him on the screen and roll in, in the world championships. So they, they run like a uh, maybe a, more of a pick and pop. And Yao Ming gets a three-pointer straight away and drains it. And the place goes crazy. And Yao does this gigantic fist pump. And it was a pretty cool moment. Chris Bosch described it to us. It was a surreal feeling kind of pulling up to the stadium, seeing, I mean, it was, it's the Olympics, right? Yeah. You see the bird's nest and then the, uh, the aquatic center and you see all the people in the streets and all that stuff. We had already taken part in the ceremony and now it's time to get down to business. But I think that was, um, I mean, it was a huge game for everybody because, you know, um, we had all been to China uh, a couple of years uh, before we had seen the growth. So like I said before, this was their moment to really, kind of just established themselves as a basketball power in the world. We knew, I mean, once we got the schedule, we knew, okay, all right, this is going to be crazy. China basketball, this is their moment for the world to showcase to the world. Um, they had a pretty good team as well. Um, and, yeah, Yao comes out and hits the first <laughs> the first shot, and it's a three. And, I mean, it was – Definitely loud. I remember asking Chris during our interview with him. He was on the, you know, he didn't start. Dwight Howard started at center. And I said, uh, Chris, were you screaming, Dwight, get out on him. You got to get out on him, you know. But that's not what they were thinking for the first play of the game. And it was, it was beautiful. And I wondered, probably the United States didn't think this during the middle of the game. I wondered, okay, that's great. Let's get it the hell over with and, uh, and go on. But, it wasn't after Yao hit that shot. I think it inspired China a little bit. They played a good game. So it wasn't all that easy of a game for him, Jay. It, it wasn't. It took a while for them to pull away. But as was the case, inevitably, in just about every game they played over there, they, they would have this run. Uh, I like to call it the, the can opener when they, they would just uh, have this moment and it would just, you know, pry the lid off the game and then forget it. In this game, the, the can opener moment was. Uh, uh, Bosch gets a rebound, throws it ahead to Kid, and uh, he he throws a long pass to Dwayne Wade, who throws this uh, incredible alley oop to LeBron, and LeBron throws it down one handed, and that makes it forty one thirty two, and 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 they're off, and here they go, uh, and and it it was just a breathtaking display of the athleticism of LeBron and and the the firepower. Of Team USA, and so you think that all of this going on, all this excitement, uh, China hosting the Olympics, this redeemed team, and the incredible athleticism of the American players, 
but there was one person in the American delegation in the stands who wasn't all that impressed, as the godfather Jerry Colangelo told us about. The whole experience of playing China in the first game, the most watched televised game in the history of televised basketball, was that game. And obviously, being in China, playing them, um, that's the reason for all of that. But it was, you know, a funny story is President Bush and his father and the whole Bush clan wanted me to sit with them. And usually during a game, I'm, I'm either playing or coaching, and I'm not a very good host, you know, in terms of small talk during a game because I'm into the game. But I agreed to do that when the president requested you do it. So I'm getting to my seat with them and the uh, president of China, the, uh, their top echelon of people were right, right there. We're all together. But as I'm going to my seat, I just kind of noticed somebody sleeping in the midst of all of this. And it was uh, Kissinger. Kissinger was sound asleep during everything that was going on. In all fairness, Jay, uh, football was really Kissinger's game. He constantly dropped soccer metaphors into his negotiating, and he was supposedly the person most responsible for getting uh, Pele to play over here in the North American Soccer League. So he was probably waiting for, you know, Jay Kidd to set up LeBron with a corner kick or something like that for a header. Otherwise, uh, he he probably wasn't... uh, interested. But uh, the games went on, and rarely was the United States asleep during that rest of the Olympics, although one member of the American contingent was. So we have another dozing story, J.A., for episode nine, as well as accounts of the games, uh, the way the team really came together. And here's uh, Chris Bosch to close us out. I mean, you know, yeah, it spoils you, man. I mean, you see how talented guys were. And I always tell people that was some of the best basketball I had ever seen. I, I remember just being happy of having that luxury just to kind of play off guys, just to see how really how talented guys are, what their work ethic is and all these things, and just to be able to take part in that and have a good summer with it. I'm Jack McCallum. That's all for Episode 8. And I'm Jay Adande. We'll be back with more in Episode 9. The Dream Team Tapes Season 2, Kobe, LeBron, and the Redeem Team, is a production of Diversion Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This season is written and hosted by me, Jack McCallum, and J.A. Adande. Executive producer Scott Waxman and Mark Francis for Diversion Podcasts and Sean Titone for iHeartRadio. Our editorial director is John Tuttle. Supervising producer, Brian Murphy. Legal producer, Freddie Overstegen. Editing, mixing, and sound design by Mark Francis. Verna Fields is our technical producer, and our director of marketing and business development is Jacob Bronstein. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.